Our scripture reading as we continue our study in the book of Revelation is Revelation 8, 13 through chapter 9, 21. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will, act, will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abidin, and in Greek he's called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and smoke from the sulfur and sulfur came from their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. And by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps as I read these 
astonishing words in the ninth chapter. You said, well, John really better be good this morning because this is way beyond my understanding. Uh, just hang in there. Uh, I told you, don't read ahead. Just take it chapter by chapter by chapter. And God's going to make it plain. Uh, this chapter before us this morning, it is strange. It's strange to me. I still remember the first time that I read this as an adult and thought, what in the world is this? And how does it fit with the gospel? And how does it fit with the rest of God's word? How does it fit with the rest of the book of Revelation? Well, <clears throat> we have built from chapter 1, we have seen a consistent, systematic, and this, this is beautiful about the book of Revelation. It's, it's tied together. It's bound together with a very tight outline and a very tight thought process. And so uh, <clears throat> we have seen in every chapter, right up through chapter 8, we have seen a unity as what comes before has much to do with the present chapter. So if, if you're visiting this morning and you uh, have not heard the previous messages, the best thing I can do, you can call me and I'll talk to you to try to explain uh, something that you may not understand this morning. Uh, but the best thing you can do if you haven't been here is go back to our web, go to our website and listen to the messages building up to this time. And there's, there's a logic about those messages. There's uh, a, a tight logic in the outline for the book of Revelation. And so this chapter fits that. Uh, so in th this morning, uh, I hope you'll see it. But if you have questions, please, please, please call me and we'll talk about it. And before we come to this passage, let's pray together and ask the Father to teach us because that is truly the only way we will understand. Our Father, first, looking back on last week and our prayers to you as your priests, and that's what we are, a congregation of priests, not only of prophets taking your word out into Memphis and Shelby County all during the week. But Father, we're also priests, bringing the world around us before you in prayer. Our Father, we pray for those here this morning who are concerned about any illness in themselves or in their families. Father, we pray for healing. We pray for those of us who are hurting in our marriages, in our relationships with our families, with our children, or with our parents. Father, you know every person in here, and you know our concerns, and we lay those before you. We pray that, Father, to this part of the body of Christ, to these individuals, to these families, we pray that you would bring healing. Heal the marriages. Heal the relationship between children and parents. 
and grandchildren and grandparents. Now, Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. John Sartell cannot teach that it will make any difference in our lives. And Father, we've heard your voice before. We were changed by your voice, by your word, to the very core of our being. And every time we get in your word and every time you speak and your spirit speaks to us, we're changed. And we pray that this morning that change, that growth would continue. And that maybe, Father, some in this room would experience that change for the very first time. Oh, Father, so bless. And to your name be the glory. Amen. The supernatural, demonic power of evil. This part of Revelation we have seen revolves around three cycles of seven. We have looked at the seven seals that held the scroll that Christ held together. And one by one, he, re he released those seals so that we would know what was in the scroll. And the scroll was the scroll of God's providence, God's ownership of all of history, and it was in the hands of Jesus. Last week, we began to look at the scene when seven trumpets were blown. When we finish with the trumpets, we will see the third and final cycle. We will see seven angels with seven bowls. Now, how do we put these things together? In the, there's an urge to, to put it in consecutive history and say, well, Somewhere in history, you have the seals, maybe in the early church, maybe. And then later in the Middle Ages, you have the trumpets. And then later, just before Christ returns, you have the bowls. That's not the way it is at all. No, the seals and trumpets and bowls Look at all of history. Each one looks at all of history from the time of Christ's ascension to the time of his return. And they look at that, they look at that period from the viewpoint of heaven, from the reign of Christ. Last week, we saw that the trumpets looked at some of the same events as the seals, just from a different angle just from a different perspective. Let's, let's look at it another way. Sometimes, on your computer, you will look at a certain geogra geographical location on Earth, and you have a basic picture of that geographical area that's on your computer screen. Well, then, with a click, you add to that basic picture an overlay that shows rivers and lakes. And you have a, another picture, but it's the same geographical area. Then you add to that picture another overlay showing all the interstate highways and state roads. 
Then, on top of that map, you have another overlay that's topographical. These overlays do not contradict each other. Each overlay adds a different emphasis to the total map. Well, that's how the seals and trumpets and bowls relate to each other. Think of them as an overlay looking at the same period of time between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. Last week, we saw the first four trumpets focus on the ecological disasters that God uses in his judgment as he brings to bear his judgment on nations and on civilizations. Now, we've seen in the past where God uses other nations. He'll raise up a, a nation to come against a nation that he's judging. He does that. He's done that. We saw that in Scripture. But here, in those first four trumpets, he doesn't use another nation. He doesn't use another human army. He uses his own creation to make war. The ecological events of the first four trumpets were modeled. This is not new. You, he's done that. We've read about him doing such things in the Old Testament. Those plagues in that of the first four trumpets in Revelation 8 were modeled after the plagues that struck Egypt in Exodus. We saw it last week. Fiery hail. Then uh, pollution and, and, uh, and poisoned rivers and streams and canals and ponds. Then a supernatural darkness. All of us, after looking at that last week, I saw it in you and you saw it in me. We, we just stood in awe of this. However, the next two trumpets... With the next two trumpets, Jesus introduces an element of his judgment that we have not seen previously in Revelation. This is a new subject as God speaks about his judgments. This is a new overlay picturing the supernatural power of demonic evil. Last week, we saw the trumpets announce ecological storms in plagues. Well, this week, the trumpets announce what some might call a demonic storm, a storm of the demonic. And it's worse than anything the trumpets have announced thus far. Listen to the introduction. Look at, at Revelation 8:13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying aloud, crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe! Woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Woe, woe, woe. One for each trumpet. Woe for every, each trumpet. Remember the seraphim? We see it several places in Scripture, but we can think of Isaiah chapter 6 where the seraphim just constantly say, Holy, holy, holy. Three holies. In the presence of God, recognize the epitome of all holiness. Well, that's the sense of this, the intensity of this. Here the eagle is saying, 
there are greater woes to come with the next trumpets. If you're standing in awe now of what has been done ecologically, wait till you see what happens next. I want to take time to read that right now. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abidin, and he, in, in, in Greek, he's called Apollyon. So, the fifth trumpet, with the, trip, with the fifth trumpet, a star falls from heaven. The star must be an angel as we read, he, not it, was given a key to the bottomless pit. God permits one of his angels to open the gateway to hell. John sees the dense smoke and with the blackened air comes a plague, plague of demons that resembles a horde of locusts. These, this horde as they're described, you know, their, their heads were like, had Heads like lions, lion's teeth, speaking of their, their power. They wore crowns, meaning that authority and rule. They had women's hair. This was attractive. This was not just, this was not ugly. This was attractive in some way. The king over these de demons is Satan. In Hebrew, he's called a um, Abiding, Abaddon, excuse me, Abaddon. In Greek, he's called Apollyon. Both of those names meant one word, and it has to do with what's here. If you look at this passage, and we're going to talk about it at this end, all you see is death, just death. And both of those names, Abaddon and Apollyon, both of them mean destroyer, carrier of death. These demonic creatures do not harm the environment. They're not like regular locusts. They bring great affliction to mankind, especially in the non-believing world. The sixth trumpet brings more of the same. It's just another wave. Look at it, verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, 
release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The sixth trumpet brings another demonic horde that continues spiritual and physical destruction. The four angels who have been restraining their advance, and you can read about this in Revelation 7, 1, are told to restrain no more. Notice the otherworldly appearance of the horses. It's not the horsemen who do the killing. It's the horses. The horses are like the heads of lions. From their mouths they spew fire and smoke and sulfur, brimstone. These are the plagues by which they kill. Their tails are like serpents with heads. This is so strange. Showing, it's like they have snakes for tails, snakes with heads on them that are poisonous. The trumpet, like the fifth trumpet, portrays visually the release of pent-up, demonic venom on the earth. Now, we know, what do we do with this? We know the otherworldly images. I mean, you look at this, this is just otherworldly. Represents satanic and demonic involvement and activity. We know this not only because of how they appear and what they do, but because the passage clearly teaches. How does it begin? It teaches they come from the pit of hell. Scripture teaches, all through Scripture, Scripture teaches that Satan and the demonic are at work in this world on every level. When the world chooses the ways of Satan... When the world chooses the way of evil and sin, Scripture teaches that God will turn those people over to their choices, to their sins, to their evil. I want to look very briefly at three passages. We could literally, I could go to hundreds of passages. We could spend all the week looking at this. But I'm just, I've, I've chosen three. First, Ephesians 2 one through three. He's speaking to the Ephesians church, just like I'm speaking to you this morning. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church. These are Christians. And he's, re he's re referring to their background. And you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Following Satan. He's, do you get this? He looks at these people before their conversion. He said, you were following 
Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, then he includes himself, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. What were they carrying out? The desires of their body and mind. As suggested, as taught by Satan. Their identification is with evil in the evil one. Now, with that background, that's what he says. That's Paul saying that. That's what he's saying to the Ephesians. Look at Romans 1, 26 to 28. For this reason, God gave them up. Now notice, God gave them up. God turned them over to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men concerning shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to a debased way of life, to do what ought not to be done. Folks, it can't be any clearer than this. God gives individuals, God gives families and cities and nations over to their choice of sin and Satan when that's what they choose. He says to us, you want to live this way? Then you will suffer the natural consequences. People choosing the way directed by Satan leads to a completely different life a different end than choosing Jesus. That's what this says. With the fifth and sixth trumpets of Revelation 9, we're reminded of Paul's warning to the Ephesian church. Look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Now he's speaking to Christians now, speaking to us. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now he's talking not to his angels when he says this. He's speaking to his church. He's speaking to you. And he's speaking to me. This is where our battle is. You go back to Ephesians. And he, he, he marks a time when, when people stopped following. When these people stopped following after the ways of Satan and evil. And followed Christ. Loved Christ. Worshipped him. That's where we are. But it's not just a one-time decision. He said, this battle, as long as you're in this fallen world, this battle will be fought. Personally, in your own heart, in your own life, in your own families. How we raise our children will suggest whether they follow Christ or whether they follow Satan. Whether they follow evil. 
And it's all so easy. So we have, we've had the first, we've had the four horsemen of the seals that denoted war and civil strife and revolutions and famines and plagues that came from such. Then we've had the trumpets, God bringing natural disasters of creation to bear on man's rebellion. Then we have this new introduction, this introduction of demonic power. God permits Satan to bring even greater suffering through demonic activity. Now this is from, this is not just a one-time event. It's not the great tribulation. This is, this is from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ. We must remember that this language is full of images and symbols. We resist the temptation of tying the events of the seals to just one single historical event. We can say with certainty that all of these events have been present throughout our history, throughout the history of this age, from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ. The four horsemen that rode in the first century, they still ride today. We saw that. We saw proof of that. The first four trumpets are still being blown. And the last two trumpets, fifth and sixth trumpets, they were blown in the first century. Read of the demonic reign of Nero, the demonic reign of Diocletian. What happens? What, take this thought. Remember those first two horsemen? The white horse and the red horse, standing for conquest, wars of conquest, tyrants after conquest, and revolutions and civil wars, murder, strife. What happens when you combine those first two horsemen with the seals, when you combine them with the demonic storm? This is sobering. What happens? When the tyrant's lust for conquest, for instance, Nero, is fueled with demonic and satanic power. Let's jump ahead, leave the first century, let's go to the 20th century. And we've done this already, and I know that, but I'm repeating it. Because it's just right here, this has got to be made. And we'll see it again in other parts of Revelation. In the 20th century, there were three historical events of such enormous evil, enormous evil, that if someone told you in 1900 that these would happen, you would say, no, it's impossible. Can't happen. We live in a modern age. We're civilized. That can't happen. And yet it did. The rise of Nazi Germany, the Nazi regime, under Hitler, they planned and executed the genocide of six to eight million Jews. If I told you that in 1900, you'd say, no, can't happen. Well, it did. Secondly, the rise of 
the Marxist regime in Russia. That killed 21 million, at least. The rise of Mao Zedong in communist China killed at least 46 million. The hatred of God in these men and movements. I mean, it was a transcendent hatred of God, of Christ, in these movements. And the presence of the demonic are historically documented. Some of you have heard me mention this before. Years and years ago, I was reading William Shire, great, great tome, his great work, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Probably many of you have read it. And I came to a chapter in the book on Houston Stuart Chamberlain. Now, this is not Neville Chamberlain, Prime Minister of England. This man was English born, but he was a citizen of Germany. William Shire, as I read this chapter about Houston Stewart Chamberlain, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I could sense that William Shire didn't know what to do with it. But he was a historian and he had to record it. I want to read you what William Shire wrote about Houston Stewart Chamberlain. Hypersensitive and neurotic, and subject to frequent nervous breakdowns, Chamberlain was given to seeing demons, who by his own account drove him on relentlessly to seek new fields of study and get on with his prodigious writings. By the way, Chamberlain was just massive. He was a massive intellect. Everyone in Germany knew him. He was a composer. He was a historian. Uh, there was no part of academia that he didn't touch with his mind. One vision after another forced him to change from biology to botany to the fine arts to music to philosophy to biography to history. Once in 1896, when he was returning from Italy, the presence of a demon became so forceful that he got off of the train at Gardon shut himself up in a hotel room for eight days, and abandoning some work on music that he had contemplated, wrote feverishly on a biological thesis until he had the germ of the theme that would dominate all his later works, race and history, end quote. That was the beginning of his, what he would call his greatest work. It's known as the foundations of the 19th century. It was the architecturally foundation, the architecture foundation of the Third Reich. It was filled with anti-Semitism. It was filled with the Nazi racial policy. Chamberlain has been referred to as Hitler's John the Baptist. Satan used Chamberlain to write the philosophy of the Third Reich in one generation, he had influenced Hitler in the next generation to build a government on that philosophy. Now, I purposely, instead of just saying this, talking about him, I read William Shire, regarded as a, by the world, as a tremendous historian 
an author, writer, intellect. In 2020, some of you uh, will remember over the last decade or so, will remember Walter Williams. Walter Williams was an international known economist, was the John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University. I've seen him do interviews on television. I've heard him on radio. He actually died in December of 2020. But in September of 2020, just two and a half months before he died, Walter Williams wrote a review on a new book that had just been published. Some of you have probably read it. The title of the book is The Devil and Karl Marx. Uh, it was written by Paul Kengore, who's a professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. But here, this renowned Walter Williams wrote an article about that book. And he didn't tear it down. Again, I want to read his words. This is opinion the devil and Karl Marx. Paul Kengore is a professor of political history at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He has just published The Devil and Karl Marx. A careful look at the diabolical side of Karl Marx. The book has come out during the most important time in our history, since so many Americans, particularly our youth, have fallen for the seductive siren song of socialism taught to them by academic by the academic elite. The Black Book of Communism, edited by Stephanie Courtois, details the Marxist-Leninist death toll in the 20th century. Here's the breakdown. USSR, 20 million deaths. China, 65 million. Vietnam, 1 million. North Korea and Cambodia, 2 million. Eastern Europe, 1 million. And about 3.5 million in Latin America, Africa, and Afghanistan. These figures underestimate those detailed by Professor R.J. Rummel in Death by Government. He finds that from 1917 until its collapse, the Soviet Union murdered or caused the death of 61 million people, mostly its own citizens. From 1949 to 1976, Communist China Mao Zedong's regime was responsible for the death for as many as 78 million of its own citizens. Thanks. That's what the ninth chapter of Revelation is saying. There is, has been, throughout history, throughout the Messianic age, there has been a tie between the rulers of this world and Satan and the demonic. Houston Stewart Chamberlain is just an example. Karl Marx is another example. But we cannot look at other nations without looking at our own culture. We mentioned last week, as we try to, our culture tries to change God's 
unalterable order of gender. Teaching first graders they can choose their own sexual identity. Doesn't matter if they're born a girl or a boy. They can make their own choice what they're going to be. So we're teaching our children. Now I want to ask you a question. Where did our culture get that? Where did it come from? Did it come from Jesus? Come from God? Or did it come from Satan? As we try to redefine marriage and family to suit our own way of life, is that Jesus or is that Satan? With the sexual promiscuity ruling our lifestyle, ruling our lifestyle, from junior high school to retirement communities, is that Jesus or is that Satan? Killing one million babies a year in their mother's womb. Really, we're going to throw stones at Russia? We're going to throw stones at China? Really? When the educated elite of this country tell us this is right and good, and call evil good and good evil, you really think killing one million babies a year comes from Jesus? Can't find it. Remember, I said, you, you can title this chapter, Death. The demonic influence on culture is always going to be death. I was reading this this week, and I got, got to Thursday. And I thought back to the 70s. When I read a book that had been written by Dr. Francis Schaeffer. Schaeffer was probably the greatest prophet of the last half of the 20th century. All of his writings are prophetic in some way. And he wrote a book called Death in the City. And this struck me so hard when I was writing for this message that I got on my Kindle. The neatest thing about Kindle, I mean, you can push a button and you don't have to go to the bookstore, you don't have to go to the library. It shows up in about one minute. And one minute later, and I don't, you say, well, if that's a, such an important book, why didn't your library? Because I've given them all away. I've given away hundreds and hundreds of copies of this book. I don't have one. I can't keep it. But I had to read it. And so I sat there that morning and I read from cover to cover death in the city. I would commend it to your reading. If you want to understand what's happening, this culture of death in this country, if you want to understand it in terms of our culture and nation and where we are in regard to God's judgment, get Death in the City by Francis Schaeffer. Well, let's close. One we're going to say four quick things in the next two minutes. Where the seals focused on the persecution and martyrdom suffered by God's people, the trumpets announced judgments which fall mainly on the world of unbelief. Two, as we progress from the seals to the trumpets, we must notice the intensity of judgment increases. With the seals, one-fourth of the earth was affected. With the trumpets, one-third of the earth was affected. Three, 
And this is important. God, not Satan and his minions, is sovereign. You don't have two sovereigns in this passage. You only have one sovereign. Satan does not have free reign. These judgments come from God. Satan acts in his own hatred, but cannot move any further than God allows. Fourthly, and sadly, even after the severe warnings, that these judgments are so severe, and you want to say, certainly those people repented. How does the chapter end? The rest of mankind, this is verse 20 and 21, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Even in the face of such a warning, such judgment. So I have a question. After the warnings that we have received in the last 21 years, is there any sign that our culture is repenting? That's sobering. It really is. Our hymn, and it was, I, I got to the end of writing this, and I said there's only one hymn that we need to sing, in Christ alone.